welcome to the Logistics Tribe. I'm Boris Felgendreer, founder of the Logistics Tribe, and today we have a logistics industry veteran on the program. Hermann Ude is the former CEO of DHL Freight and DHL Global Forwarding, a former corporate board member of Deutsche Post, and now sits on a number of supervisory boards, including his role as chairman of the supervisory board at Transporion. Hermann has a strong interest in the impact the logistics industry has on the environment and on climate change in particular. He holds some key insights into how the industry has to evolve and what role technology can play to drive down the environmental impact of the logistics sector. Please enjoy this conversation between Herman and our Logistics Tribe host, Jonah McIntyre. Before we get started, a quick thanks to our supporters, Grey Orange. Grey Orange automates warehouse operations through a combination of AI software and autonomous mobile robots. Grey Orange systems are in place at some very prominent companies such as IKEA or the Danish wholesale goods and furniture retailer Yisk. If you're looking to get your warehouse and fulfillment operations to the next level with the help of autonomous robots and automation, you should definitely have Grey Orange on your list. Check them out at greyorange.com. All right, now let's move on to the show with Herman Ude, hosted by Jonah McIntyre. Enjoy. To get a running start at this, uh, why don't we give you a chance to introduce yourself to the audience? Uh, you've got an amazing background. You've been through the industry uh, for a long time in really significant positions. What were the highlights for you? How, what are you doing now? Give us a little bit of background on yourself. Yeah, so uh, maybe I don't start with the work, but with where I come from. And I actually grew up on the Baltic Sea in a in a village on a relatively uh, five thousand people, small place, uh, which which was a was an interesting childhood experience. So I'd never moved as a child, so it was very stable, and it was uh, a lot of nature around, a little river and things like that. So that's why I have always been uh, emotionally pretty attached to normal nature I don't need palm trees and things like that so just what what europe uh, considers as the as the normal pasture landscapes and uh, that that has been my, my bringing and then i uh, i studied um, economic business administration actually and a bit of artistry and then joined mckinsey for eight years um in which time my uh, three kids were born and then uh, we moved uh, to bonn because i i joined dhl as a group as a in, in a role that was a bit unspecified because the company intended to, to build a logistics company, but in, in reality, it only had uh, mail, retail outlets and parcel in Germany. And we then acquired some 140, 160 uh, companies and integrated then my role sort of was corporate architect to really see how this integration works. And basically, if you look at the four pillars now, that was what, what basically the structure was that we at that time uh, designed <clears throat> with the mail and the supply chain uh, express integrator business and then uh, the forwarding. Um, then I led the European road trade of DHL and then ultimately in, as a board member the um, air ocean and road uh, forwarding uh, business which uh, was market leading globally I think still is and uh, and of course a quite a quite a stretch also for me to operate a really global uh, business, um, so and I think that was a was a fantastic time. I think, uh, of course, well, endless highlights if you want. I think actually what what I really experienced, which I thought was a highlight, was uh, mentorship. If, if it, I think from an outside perspective, it always looks like a great career and somebody has done all the right things. Uh, if I look at my own life, it has been three, four, four times people that actually said. I trust you and uh, I'll give you support. And I remember that my then, uh, when I was not yet an uh, operating road fed, I, I really smashed an IT project. I think it was a 4 million 
Deutsche Mark at that time loss on a project that didn't deliver any value. And the then group CEO, he asked me, he got a report from our, our auditing department that this was a mess. And he asked me um, <clears throat> up to his, his office and I was a bit sort of shaky. And uh, he said, well, I got this report. Anything you say, I said, well, you, we really messed it up. It was wrong. I made mistakes, wrong judgment and so on. I said, well, and then he finished and I said, well, now invested 4 million in your education. And that's why I want to put you on another road, which was a bigger one. And it was, so I think that mental, that, that was a, always a highlight when you felt like there's somebody that is uh, strengthening you and allowing you to, to do things and trusting you, even if there are mistakes, because there are always mistakes happening. You always make mistakes uh, in a large organization. You oversee things and so on. So I think that really uh, the, these experiences were the true highlights and, of course, a lot of travel, nice things and wonderful people I met. But I think that was something that I really would like to, to highlight. And your transition from McKinsey over so at McKinsey were you were you foc were you sector focused were you focused on I was assembly sector electronics mechanical engineering so my my customers were yeah basically in, in, in that space so I never had a specific okay. uh, supply chain uh, spike mm -hmm. uh, which obviously changed then uh, at DHL how was that transition then did somebody also sort of make a a bet on you uh... no I think it was it was re actually the reality was it was about general management skills and they said well I think you you need the next step and there's this road freight business and it, at that time it was heavily loss making they need restructuring and many other things it was I think 100 million negative at that time and um, so they just said uh, well we give you the opportunity to fix it so to say and I had yeah. no specific road freight uh, in rods or knowledge the, the position had management and business acumen yeah so I, were and that's why also again if you come to it's all about teams and and then I, I never hired McKinsey into any of my management teams because mm -hmm. that type of thinking in PowerPoint and logic and figures and graphs and whatever that was what I could contribute to a team but what right. I needed were practitioners who had operated road freight hub who had dispatched air freight shipments who were uh, were capable to roll out a software in in 800 or whatever you had stations. So I think that's right. that's the thing how you create a team that you don't try to copy yourself 15 times and think that this is the greatest idea. So I, I needed to complement myself with the people that have the specific skills, and they were not the type of McKinsey skills. They were actually then the skills of of uh, practitioners. And and as a team, then you you're pretty complete, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, I could see I, I could see the temptation to hire in people who are look like you're saying think yeah think, thinking really symmetrically really looking like me should be a great career. no that's wrong I, I I believe it's very wrong yeah and so we're going over it fast but it is quite a incredible career you had there in your last role you were leading global ocean and air forwarding is that correct and road yeah yeah exactly yeah and road so sorry and road fourteen point five billion pretty large business and then we had a Actually, I mean, I, I left then uh, 11 years ago, and the, the core reason for, for leaving was a dispute about uh, the way how to digitalize the, um, the, the business. And when I left in uh, 11, then I had, a, I think I had one year gardening leave or whatever, couldn't do anything. But then I joined uh, my brother who had started a small company in, in digital learning training field, TTS, and mm -hmm. uh, I joined that, then became also a shareholder. There were some other partners and one wanted to retire. So I very much got close to the IT industry. And um, and then at one point, it made a bit click that I saw that actually the transportation, this combination of digitalization and transportation is a, an, an amazing match. 
because all the problems that we that we solve um, as a, as a forwarder or the, the many of the challenges the industry has can be resolved with uh, digital solutions that comes from mm-hmm. very simple ones like uh, which, which are now standard like uh, proper routing optimization and these type of things but also as an industry um, I mean forwarders do nothing else but leverage information i know right, 50 right. people who have a load and i know 30 people who have a truck and i com- combine them simplicity now <clears throat> still although the forwarders are optimizing that we have 30 percent empty capacity on european roads about the same in, uh, in north america a bit less and and then again a data problem so let's approach it like a data problem and that's how i came to then transporion as a chairman and uh, and a number of other assets that i'm invested in and that i'm interested in in being successful and also at the same time it came out that especially with this empty empty mileage uh, tick um with the, the the awareness for the problem of um, of carbon um or sustainability in general because we also have uh, the degradation of 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 our agricultural grounds we have um species losses in at an enormous pace we have a Uh, and we have the CO2 heating up problem, which are all somehow intertwined. I saw more and more the, the opportunities that are there using digital solutions to overcome carbon or, or in, um, ecological challenges. And, and I think that's also somehow maybe leading us to this discussion because I think it's a, it's a, the good thing about digital solutions often is they cost you nothing in terms of yeah. real money. They create yeah. value from moment one. Uh, but if, if you want to change all trucks into electric, I mean, that's a, I don't know what it is, I didn't calculate it, 80 yeah, billion yeah. investment program in Europe, which may be nice right. for truck manufacturers, but it's it's a massive thing over a short period of time. But implementing a solution that makes cargo and, and trucks visible, or a solution that makes CO2 emissions visible and starts to operate, that is a cent per, or a few cents per, um, per shipment. So I, I think... I'm more and more like that aspect of the thing. And, and I think that's what I try to shape into all the different ventures I'm in. It's true that when people come from the material economy, so I, I, I maybe have a similar background in some sense where I, I started in true supply chain management, material, material flows, financial flows, and information flows. And when you make that transition from that economy and that focus over to technology and particularly software, so, so, so data focused technology, the economics become quite interesting. You, you, you look at something that has really negligible creation cost. I, I think that what holds us back with creating software is is actually the creative minds that are necessary to create it and the change management from leadership, which is necessary to implement it. But the cost of creation is is not the factor. There's it's not We're not rate limited by, by its cost. And even for things which might be quite expensive to create in their in their first sort of moment of being for most of the most of the work that we do in this sector the computation costs essentially the the incremental cost are not zero but almost zero so you have this sort of solving it once may cost something which is a considered a considered investment but then you've sol- you've essentially solved it for from that point on it, it can be duplicated or reapplied. I would maybe reiterate, reiterate a bit your thought on the two boundaries, uh, it's mm-hmm. the cost obviously, and it's uh, change management is a key one. And yeah. I would I would say change management has two dimensions there. One is actually, we decide for a solution and how do we get adoption up? So how we decide we want to roll out a certain software for, for real-time visibility 
and how do we convince drivers and uh, and really right. the, the controllers to check it really and, and so on and make the customers educated on using that information. So that's uh, one yeah, adoption challenge. And the other challenge is if you look into the digital industry, I don't know, it's, it's not after fashion, it's the industry with the highest uh, sales cost. Right. It is extremely, yes. there are solutions I have seen where I would say, I would say there is no argument to implement it tomorrow on a small scale and test it out. If I was operating, right. um, be it Unilever or Nestle or somebody like that, I look at this and say, hey, this is so cool, but still it takes an enormous sales effort to get this into yeah. these large organizations. So, and, and I think that that is another change cost. Yeah. Um, so if I, I, let's take real-time visibility. I think the, the real-time visibility opportunity is so obvious. It's an operational level. It's so, it, it, and it costs you, I don't know, 30 cents, 40 cents per shipment. It's really yeah. nothing. Or so yeah. maybe you don't roll it out to the whole empire of your whatever 60 billion company in six weeks, but why not say test instead of argue? Yes, we do it. We want it quick. We want, and, and, and that will reduce the sales cost in the industry. If you look at all these high growth, uh, loss making companies in the industry, and there are many, and if you look at their cost structure, 40 yeah, and 50 sales and marketing. engineering yeah. sales is significantly more costly than engineering and operating. Yeah. And so we have, we have in the industry, we have a double problem. Uh, supply chain people tend to be, well, at, at least they are not the most innovative one, really grabbing things quickly. Experience, mm -hmm. but what I'm wondering is why don't why they don't just test? Let them just do it. And uh, and so I, I think there are these two change management costs that that make us too slow to bring innovation mm -hmm. and also uh, um, sustainability to the supply chain operations. Yeah. yeah, there was this moment just as the pandemic was kicking in. I felt this moment when the metabolism of large company decision making raised for a moment there was this there was this probably a six month period where for the first time in uh, decades really <laughs> i felt the a breakthrough in decision making where uh, you know, previously i would i would meet with large companies and if everyone wasn't aligned they just didn't make a decision i mean the 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 inertia the 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 inertia effect was so large that you really had to kind of push on every single wheel at the same time to move the the car forward yeah at all. Yeah. And for a really brief period as the pandemic was kicked in, so much was changing in, in society, not just in businesses, but in societies, that you could feel this pace of change uh, um, altering. And I, and I think there's leftover artifacts from that, things like the remote work movement, where the idea that people are going to commute 30 minutes to reply to an email or to work on PowerPoints at their desk and then drive 30 minutes home that 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 that's just not going to be accepted at the same way that it was pre-pandemic but to to segue over to um climate change unfortunately the nature of sort of the degradation of our environment and climate change is that it hasn't presented us with a pandemic-like rupture and so over time we can all see around us the effects of it but we but they're not sudden. They're not forcing forcing a change upon us. And and I I don't I don't know what you, how you feel, but I I don't believe that there will be such a moment come. I think it really has to be a an inward uh, motivation to make change rather than a, a forced one. Yeah, you never know. I mean, it's uh, yeah, I, at first I agree, and the, the challenge with that problem is it's uh, when when we have from climate change driven the moment the the um, uh, spring twenty corona moment. Uh -huh, Only right. thousands of people die and so on. It's too late. The problem is right, this, right. this challenge needs foresight. 
and that's why because you, if you if when it comes you can't fight it any longer it's like a big wave yeah. when you're standing in front of a 20 meter wave in portugal on the sea and you are not yeah. on your board you're not going to make it it's not it's yeah. too late and any movement will just not help you so and and that that's and that's why i'm i'm actually surprised if, and you, i mean that that every individual person leading his her life and so on doesn't see it that way i i fully understand um, and uh, yeah, we always had our vacation in Mallorca, so we fly there our short-term flight. And uh, yes, somehow we know that if we are doing that as four people, it's the CO2 uh, footprint of an Egyptian for the whole year. Just a right. flight for two-directional flight to Mallorca, which is what I visit, fourteen hundred kilometers. Um, or we move at the, I mean, at the benefit. We have to. Also, I mean, if you compare air and sea travel, it's a ten, it's a ten times um, saving on. Uh, on time, so you need right. four days end to end from Hong Kong or from Shanghai, let's say, to Frankfurt, and you need forty days from uh, Shanghai to Frankfurt if you take sea. But from a CO two point of view, it is fourteen times, fifteen times that. And if you right. if you that CO two calculated, if you look at the CO two impact of uh, air freight emissions, they are three times as impactful. Like methane is as twenty six or whatever times, so three times. So in reality, it is a we are trading a downtime from from 40 to four days at a carbon uh, at, a, at a climate change impact uh, that is 60 times people somehow don't get that into their thinking which i i believe is surprising i mean there are all if you look at the business leaders if you we have a leadership challenge here because leaders yeah. are not expected to manage the day but rather to expect it expect to manage with foresight and yes, some organizations, I had a very good, I got a very good um, blog post currently from uh, the CEO of Heidelberg Cement, and I was quite impressed how they are doing that, cement being one of the big polluters, mm -hmm. much smaller than road transport, but yes, big. Um, and he basically calculates you know, the full CO2 into every, not only investment, but in any operation in the world, so that everybody feels the load of the, whatever it is, I don't know the number, 100 euros per ton. And can either reduce headcount, reduce transportation costs, or reduce CO2. In a balance sheet, would, in his P&L would be the same. I thought that was a great thought. So some people are grabbing it. But majority, yeah, well, let's see. And we shouldn't be the first and so on. Yeah, we, we spoke briefly about this uh, in the past. I mean, that, this sort of goes to one of the things that's close to my heart on this topic, which is if climate change really is the result of externalized cost, which the decision maker doesn't have to, is not accountable for. For example, you fly to Mallorca. There's a some cost on the future of you know humanity and 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 not just humanity, all the animals and, and other biosphere. But you don't have to pay for that. <laughs> so right. so this the, the, this results in uh, sort of adverse decision making that you would if you had, did have to pay for it, you would alter your own decision making quite naturally um, and. This invisible hand, sort of not being able to to work its magic on emissions, I think is is something that's quite. I really think ultimately that could be one of the the ways that we finally take this seriously. I know that there are some companies. You're, you're mentioning this now. There's some companies that are are electively internalizing their emission cost. Yeah. Uh, I just don't know if they'll actually be I mean, the thing that is challenging about this is I don't know if that works. I don't know if electively doing it from some companies actually has the effect of of making the change uh, broad scale enough. I, I tell you a story that I told at town hall meetings at DHL, which is now, as I said, 12 years or what ago. 
11 years ago, because you had to motivate people. So climate change and uh, also biodiversity loss is, for me, is a topic that is very close to my heart, but it has a very, very clear business business aspect to it, because in the long run, we will have to pay for CO2 individually mm -hmm. as companies. And we don't know when it comes and we don't know uh, in which magnitude it will come. Uh, but the thing is, if you are if you are on foresight, the, the, the typical what do, what do people do if they have a problem, a financial or an economical problem, that they they don't know the probability and they don't know when it's going to hit. What do they do? Uh, they take an insurance. Yeah, they, yeah, so, yeah. So they take an insurance. So I don't know whether my house will burn and when it will burn, but I have a fire insurance for my place. So very good. And and that so and, and that was the aspect. I said if I look forward. And my, the story I told was basically at that time, uh, because they were the leaders, I said, if Barack Obama, Hu Jintao, then China, or president of China, and Angela Merkel sit together and they opened the second bottle of, bottle of Barolo and they just agree that they would tax, carbon tax, uh, jet fuel as diesel is taxed in Germany. That would have, an, because in, in, in full freighter, uh, kerosene is a massive cost line. Right. Would, have an, uh, would result in a 30 to 40 percent increase in price for mm -hmm. air cargo. And air cargo is a product that you use for speed against cost, so it's an obsolete set voiding. So if you have right. so the bikini delivered still in August can be sold. If the bikini came by ocean freight in October, you may have to destroy it because you can't sell it in that season. So basically, or cheese or pharmaceuticals or whatever has an obsolete set. So this calculation changes if the price of the transport goes up. And if it goes up and we calculated that, and if it, if, if fuel would go up by yeah, whatever, I think it would double actually with the diesel price. And then at that time, and we would have 30% less air freight in the result. And I told my people, if that, when the, if and when that happens, I want to be sitting on the 70% business. I don't want to be sitting on the 30% that yeah. lose. So that's why we concentrated on, for example, pharmaceuticals and other things that we said, they are always going to be important enough to be or for a long time uh, to be flown and get out. Don't fly stuff around that shouldn't be flown around. And then you're still yeah. it's, it's a business you can make money and so on. But and, and I think that's the narrative that any leader should take and say, okay, if I'm not paying my premium now, I'm go going potentially, go I don't know when and I don't know at what magnitude I'm paying a total 100% loss in at a certain point in time. This insurance logic, I think, should lead leaders to really embrace this topic seriously. And I think if you look at the calculatable premium uh, from 12 years ago, I would have said maybe we can put 5% of our profit into CO2s. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And if, if I would run a very large operation now, I would think it's maybe rather 10, 12% of my business investment. I could take different packaging solutions and really think it through because paper is not always better than plastic, but plastic and, and so on. So really think about that. If you take a company like Amazon with the enormous amount of output, if I was Amazon, one of the projects I would start after the cloud business and after logistics is a package, global packaging network, or DHL could do that the same, with re return packaging. Yeah, you, you know that, that there are companies that do the Europellet and so on. Why is not somebody yeah. saying, I, I don't, I want, we, we will not, it's not sustainable that we are creating these enormous amounts of paper per German, 240 kilos paper uh, uh, in a year. Yeah, okay, plastic. Germany and, is yeah. the world record holder. There's no, no country, yeah. not even the US matches that brackets because they use more plastic but and, and that's not sustainable so let's create a solution let's invest some a billion or whatever set it up somewhere in a sector or in a country and establish a, a return system for um, for that and uh, and and i think and that's an investment as a insurance premium 
so that the sustain the, the model of um, internet trade stays or will survive longer because it has a, a an element of sustainability and future costs will be will, will not occur to my company if I operate a more sustainable system. And I think that's yeah that's something. Um, you, you describe it's interesting when when you're when you're describing what you did with with DHL. It's I can I can see the McKinsey roots. It's it's market selection, right? So there's there's some market which traditionally you'd be looking at this in terms of Kager and growth metrics and and whatnot. But you're looking at it as risk exposure to a to yeah. a essentially a carbon tax. One of the things that I find interesting about this is that one of the the adverse effects of that is that you have less so. DHL, for example, would have been out of the game on some products, maybe low-value fruit, yeah. as an example. So we didn't go something like flour and fruit, for example. Yeah, exactly. Okay, flour, flour, flour is a great example. So, so then you go, uh, okay, so when enough participants do that, uh, because we see this also in investing, where, where certain, certain funds won't invest in, say, tobacco or alcohol or, coal, no. uh, yeah, coal, and the... Uh, the effect of that is that the return to the investors who do invest in there is higher. They face less competition for capital. So in the case of, for example, transport services, if there's less people willing yeah. to transport flowers, the price that they are required to pay goes up. Uh, essentially, you could look at it as internalizing the risk factor of being in a market that has carbon tax potential. But in the short term, it creates an incentive for somebody to service that sector at a higher profit margin than than others, and I that that's one of the reasons yeah, why I find it. Yeah, yeah, but it increased. I mean, take the flower example, which may hold or not, but but in principle, you are sitting there. Uh, there's uh, flowers produced in in Kenya somewhere on the Lake uh, Victoria, using which is a very, very which cool. is crazy. Cool. Yeah, it's yeah, absolute crazy thing. Anyway, yeah. so you have the flowers, and you can, and they need to be moved out. If a DHL and a Schenker and a Kühne would say. No, sorry, we don't move flowers any longer because we think it's a non-sustainable business. We don't, mm -hmm. we don't send trucks around, we don't send ammunition around, we don't send flowers around. Yeah. Behind every kilo of grapes from South Africa, I calculated that once is four liters of kerosene. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. not it's not what we want to do. Okay, so we are stepping out of that. Nobody else has the capacity. So that means that the transportation cost for flowers would move up massively because somebody would have to bring in something and specifically build an own flower flight network. Which would operate at significantly higher cost than than a than a combined whatever fill the load right. type of cost. So I think you you can you can have an impact, but not if you are a small little small guy and say I don't do this ugly business. But if you are a bigger one like DHL with thirteen percent at that time, global yeah. share and F rate or so, they could change it and they could take distinct decisions on certain businesses not to operate them. What Walmart had Walmart and Amazon both actually have had similar effects in their supply chains in the past. I know uh, to some extent uh unilever as well yeah that that when you when you're when you're at that size i i, I know uh for example one was the packaging that's used to transport chickens mm -hmm. so live chickens it was something walmart just made a decree that said from now on if you're in our supply chain you have to use this other packaging and it had a massive impact and yeah. it, it stuff like that where you go well that, that's insane but the power of somebody who is the de facto organizer of the supply chain, whether that's because they control the demand in the case of Walmart or in the case of DHL because they control the means of transportation, yeah. uh, really, to, to your point, that really can 
shift the dynamics of an industry. I, I, I see that. And then I think that's why it's, it's a lack of leadership at, at one end. A polit politician make policy makers are not supporting it enough. But yeah. it is, I mean, as most all the bad things that happen are at one aspect are a leadership challenge or problem. I, I think the, the means are there in, in many, many cases there, there, are, there if, you, if you really ask people, um, would you mind if something Actually, I mean, to take one thing, uh, Amazon introduced the um, the same day delivery in Germany some, mm -hmm. I don't know, six years ago. And what, what from a pollution point of view is a disaster because you really send around a truck with 10 shipments or 11 shipments. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And, and it's, so it's, yeah. it's optimizing away from, uh, if we talk about empty, empty kilometers or empty capacity, it's certainly optimizing away from that. And, sure. and you wonder, you wonder what's the economics behind it. The economics behind it is that the probability that somebody is sending the product back increases significantly by the hour. So let's mm. say I'm, I'm buying a yellow jumper, which would not be very becoming to me with my sort of red hair. I would buy a yellow jumper at, at, a, at an online shop and it would be there when I bought it. The probability that I keep it is in, in double digit percentages higher than if I receive it only tomorrow evening. Huh. And and that's the economics band. So it's in, in a way, it's our greed fueling the systems that that overlook uh, CO2 or other things. That's why pricing and taking the insurance view and so on is very important. Mm. It's really uh, doing that. The, the problem is that if I take my decisions now on, on a risk, I calculate my risk and as, let's say 5% of my profits or re revenue could go to investments in sustainability. What I don't calculate is the accumulative effect of CO2. And I think that's mm -hmm. the, things, the system's completely out of sync. I look at right, my investment right. and say, okay, that would be a payback in 10 years. It's not great, but it's okay. I will do it. But over carbon's going to be there for 200 piling up, and so yeah. so there's an exponential uh, challenge to that. Yeah, that that that's one of the you know to to, to go back to this. I mean, this 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 example with with uh, same day delivery, I think, is another one where my mind immediately goes to okay, if one retailer, one e-commerce retailer, does not offer same day delivery and another offers same day delivery the motives behind that are kind of irrelevant in many cases for consumers not not all consumers but many consumers say well you know like i like i like same day delivery right <laughs> and uh so the the next thing that goes through my mind is well you've got if you had a carbon tax it has to be internalized somewhere in the business the business either has to make a better return on other elements of its operation, be more efficient in some other way, or it has to charge the consumers, in which case the consumers, uh, right, then they internalize in their decision making, do I really want, I guess another option could be to just unilaterally say, for example, in Germany, there is no same day delivery, everything has to be delivered at least but you're always, you're always behind the you're always behind the wave. It's it's not yeah. this is just not working. I mean, you remember the EU with the big Tata announcing that straw uh, straws are not uh, the yeah. ear cleaners right. and what else? Three products were exp were banned from plastic. I mean, for me, this always looked like a gig of the plastic industry because they said if we get can get away for five years at that cheap, that's really great. No, I, I think the, the the regulator should not go in on that level. The regulator should say we increase the carbon. We, we produce a carbon tax. Uh, we calculate carbon unwanted visible on every product, uh, like we do with VAT. So really falling through over the different levels. Yeah. So if I produce, 
I, I, I produce, I mine coal and that is going into steel and that steel goes to a, to a steel factory and then it goes into a car and then, and I, and, and the consumer can see this car has a footprint of X. Right, so, right. And, and that's the things a regulator can do. So that's visibility. And when I have it visible, I can st start to influence it and can say, okay, we are increasing this. We, now we are charging for it. We knew it before. Now we are charging and then we get the actions. I think the, the, the regulator would be completely um, overwarded with lobbying and everything if he wanted to inject little, little great ideas into a, a system as big as our world. I mean, this is just not feasible. Yeah, and yeah, and I think we yeah. should, we should, I mean, that's the pity <clears throat> that all the things that we, we externalizing costs is not, not, cap, not a, in principle, not a capitalistic principle. Yeah, the capitalist principle right. is. I bear all the cost and I'm, I try to make profit out of a better product or whatever. And, uh, there are lobbying groups that are that are or, or industries that are living from externalizing significant amount of the costs on the ecological side, and they yep. have a significant lobby influence. But as a, as a principle, capitalism directs is, is the strongest social construct to direct energy forces ideas into the right direction. If there was a price signal that CO2 is 150 euros a ton and will be 300 euros a ton in three years, like like with no law, the things. Yeah, depend. exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This the the price signal works pretty well for all these other scarce scarcity dimensions or danger dimensions in our society. It yeah. it yeah it moves it moves resources onto the problems that the world wants yeah. solved. I mean, it, it's not perfect, obviously, but it, it's pretty good. <laughs> Uh, uh, and and it's a it's a bit of a shame that it isn't isn't yet applied to this space. I think we're kind of discussing a a, a sort of an agenda or a, a a prioritization to get to net zero emissions and in the logistics sector. One of them is internalizing the cost. Uh, another one you mentioned, which I'm I'm also a big fan of, is this. Uh, true sort of reporting mandate on your emissions so that and and Europe has the VAT system other countries do do as well where we're not uh, so we're not newbies to tracking our contributions to a to a product uh, to a value stream uh, at, or a value chain as it as it moves towards final consumption we we have other mechanisms for that with VAT we could do the same thing with emissions presumably exactly um, to throw another one out there, I think the move towards net neutral energy sources is also an important one. I think one of the hard things about logistics is most of our emissions comes from transportation and transportation. It's electric vehicles for short distances, but after that, it's it's liquid fuels. And that 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 really is the handicap for if you want to move long distance, even if you go, even the green options are become liquid fuel, things like hydrogen become liquid fuels. Yeah, the, the thing is, I mean, if you if you really, um, I, I, I took, I, I, it's, a, it's not calculated to the ground, but I take, took the view of saying, how much can I achieve without changing the vehicles? Right, right. And uh, that, that starts basically with uh, the, um, with looking at the, uh, what's the amount? Now, the amount we are normally looking at is the fuel burn. Mm -hmm. What we should add is, of transport, let's say road transport, what we should add is, of course, the CO2 load of the truck production producing the yeah the asset the asset, the, the asset yeah, production yeah and what we always completely forget also the carbon effect everybody forgets is the enormous amount of energy that goes into the road infrastructure which is yeah. as much as the car production and together they are as much as the as the, as the so the tier2 impact of these two blocks the producing the car producing the road is as big as uh, the fuel burn so these three make it up 
And now we try to get that down. Uh, well, 2030 target is pretty clear. So, uh, so it needs to go down, I think, by 40 in Europe and, uh, and then uh, more than 60 in 2040. And then I made the calculation and said, what can digital solutions achieve? And I assume we can get out of 50% of the empty running, 50% get that down. We, what we have an enormous, um, uh, as a routing solutions currently work just with digital routing solutions currently work in such a way this is your target that's the route you go and you go mm -hmm. there was an accident somewhere i might get a rerouting and so on maybe but nobody yeah. maybe but nobody tells yeah. me uh that by the way your the the time window on the ramp has moved six hours back you you only have to unload tomorrow Mm -hmm. The capacity that the three empty pallet places that I have in my back have not come back to the system and say, hey, he has more hours, more time, or he can sleep now. And so we are optimizing the system not with real-time intervention. And in a, in a super tactical, super dynamic environment like road freight, if you really sit on the truck, I mean, there is a change every two hours. Yeah, uh, We have to get to a point where we are f capable to do real-time intervention on routing, on capacities, and availabilities on um, yeah, basically on empty available. So, and the moment we get there, uh, my little calculation that I did, and I, I think I shared that in an internal transporter meeting at one time, is that around 60 to 65% of the 2030 gap could be closed with that. Mm -hmm. And we still are sitting on the same truck. There's no other engine, but we solved a big part of the problem. And and this is um, this is also driving me very much into this digital space supply chain because I believe that these solutions are much more much stronger, and they give us the time to start really coming up with better better um, technology on the on the hardware side on the truck side and so on. The next thing the next thing is um, that is I'm, I'm not talking about the optimization from the shipper tells me I need this pallet somewhere, and mm -hmm. the carrier is picking it and delivering it at the right time at the right place. Now um, from from my experience. At, at, uh, at operating these businesses, there's enormous amount of moves that are not necessary at all. So the yeah. whole uh, the whole planning, connecting production with uh, with actually transport needs, consolidating them, changing so they want to have the warehouse empty every day. They could mm -hmm. say, no, no, the part loads we leave here. There's we know already in our in our booking system that the customer ordered another six pallets for the same direction, and so on. so we could reduce transport volumes as a whole significantly. I, I can give you a simple example. There, there is a very large manufacturing company, US manufacturing company, one of our biggest clients at DHL, and they had um, they made quarterly results as every proper American company. And they um, internally, the production organization needed to make revenue. Right, right. And they could only do revenue by if it shipped, if, yeah. if, it, if it had shipped and actually if it had arrived in, in the in the destination. So they put mm -hmm. the September 28th big machinery stuff on an airplane to move it to Chile so that it sat there in the warehouse and was booked as revenue because otherwise the guy wouldn't have met his target. This is not an exception. Yeah. This is not an exception. And and so so we need to think more real-time intervention-wise, really purpose-oriented. Uh, when do we need ship what? And that, that's another optimization here that I haven't even looked at. So if you think that until 32 or 60% we can achieve with or a lot of, let's say more than 50%. Yeah, maybe I may be wrong in some some part of the calculation, but 50% can be achieved. That's already a lot. And the costs are, yeah, it's, as I said, it's uh, $2 uh, um, or whatever it may be. It's, it's very, very little per shipment. It's not like buying a new truck yeah. or uh, building a petrol station network for hydrogen or something like that. What's interesting about this is they're not just paralyzed like you're describing them in a way that's really beautiful in the sense that they're paralyzable. We can work on 
changing the platform of our transport vehicles from internal combustion engines towards uh, hydrogen or uh, uh, or electric at the same time as we make uh, these improvements that really just come down to uh, supply chain visibility, optimi- uh, inventory optimization, and uh, transport routing and driver assignment optimization. What, one of the things I find interesting is that it's not just they're paralyzable in that way, which which is which is beautiful, but it's also that for at least one of those uh, platform changes of the vehicles, which is the move to, to hydrogen and electric, that requires a completely different routing mechanism for uh, for the transport planning. I, was, I sort of do a do a call out to uh, a- Andrew Cleland from as one of the leaders at Nestle in supply chain. We were talking one time, and he said, you know. We want in, we want to see more of our product move on these hydrogen uh, trucks. That's the that's the best chance we have at at uh, zero net emissions in the mid mid mile. You know the mid the mid distances. But he said uh, those those vehicles they have to refuel at. It's not like every gas station is going to have hydrogen. They have to refuel at at certain places. And as far as they know, and as far as I know, even to this moment. There isn't a routing software that's really purpose built for that uh, that task because also even if you were to say well you know it's just you just take the points like no you have to schedule the stop because they it's not like they have uh, they have fifty fueling hookups just waiting for dry, to trucks to come in it's no you 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 book an appointment to come in so that means that the routing software to get this right is going to have to take consideration of the product move. The site, the pickup at appointments, the delivery appointments, the appointments at the fueling station, the route through the fueling station, and the drivers, so the driver hours. And that's again uh, an inefficiency that you have to calculate into your hydro truck. Yeah, I mean, you have to see yeah. that it goes longer distances, longer routes. The the cars also driving more kilometers or miles, and so it, so it, uh, the the depreciation is higher. And so so I think the whole system it's a super complex system, and I think mm-hmm. that's the that's the thing. If, if, yeah, the Transporter specifically, but also other companies are looking at. This industry is about good solutions, digital solutions for a number of very small problems. Yeah. The problems yeah. are all, it's always a nitty gritty problem that you solve yeah. it in itself is okay. Okay, good. Okay, 10 cents, I do that. But it's, and, and then, but if you combine these things, suddenly you come to some, some bigger, uh, bigger picture. But the problem, I mean, uh, when Mark Oliver Simon start, started and his friends started uh, transporting, what is it, 20 years ago, they created the ramp management software. This is, I mean, this is okay. Of a, to, from a supply chain director perspective, that's, uh, it's, that's a tiny, it seems like a tiny problem. It's a yeah. very tiny problem. And yes, and there's some, yeah. some dispatchers on the ramp, they would say, what a shitty life I have. And always these trucks and they always sit at the wrong yeah. ramp and when I, and so on. but so and but this is the style and then you have the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth and yeah uh, so solution and suddenly these things combine what i think the, the the big thing is because there are so many small decisions that a truck driver can take that a customer can take that the dispatcher can take that the company can take that whatever whoever can take you need to get to the level of real-time intervention i, I said that so you need to be able yeah. the truck driver needs to get the command hey you have six hours more time pick something up somewhere else in the meantime or take your your break and that's the only way to overcome the complexity of an over over complex system and if you add your hydro complexity to it and say by the way so many driving hours and then so much rest time and the trucks need refueling not only when but also yeah. where now it's only when yeah 
okay, next petrol station. And then it says, yes, when, but also at a specific location and in a specific time window, this complexity. Yeah, it overwhelms, it, it overwhelms it, yeah. most, most of the decision-making apparatuses in the industry. There really is a, an angle to compete just on this. I mean, there, there are companies, one that I particularly like is called AI Fleet in the US, but there are, there are multiple, there's cloud trucks and there's others that this is their angle. They, they simply say, yeah, we're, we built a company around the optimization engine rather than most logistics yeah. companies were built first as customer service organizations. Yeah. They, they want a customer and then they sort of figure it out afterwards. And they added technology step-by-step step later to clean it up a little bit, to kind of improve the operations a little bit. And then I think this new style of companies go the other way. They say, well, actually the core is a tightly planned operation. And then we'll, we'll do the demand, we'll capture demand that's a good fit for our, our, our tight operation and grow that way. And then we, we see that, I mean, the, 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 the target of every, I mean, if, uh, if you look at the target, uh, achieve a target sheet of, of a supply chain director of a large company. It, the first thing is always, did you get my shit out to the market? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And then, so for, we, we are always, even at DHL, we are wondering and say, why don't they look for better pricing? Of course, generic in the RFT, but, they, they, yeah. but on tactical going, going a spot market also, they were always pretty reluctant because they said, you know what, this year I'm in my budget yeah. and I get capacity <laughs> so I can deliver good quality. The, the yeah. production organization or the sales organization will have, we always had our whatever yeah. product in the market. And that's the best thing I can get. And if I saved against the budget another 5 million, 10 million, okay, nice be it. So that's, a, that's, a, yeah. that's an interesting uh, view they take. And, and within that framework, they just try to optimize. So the optimization doesn't really go through. Yeah. Um, I mean, we see it, I, like me, me and my team see it all the time of, Cost cost is really not an optimization criteria for most. Uh, in the industry, we call them shippers, right? It's a yeah, it's a it's a has to be satisfied. Once you hit the satisfaction level, which is which is budget essentially, then from that point on, uh, the risk reward trade off flips. Like it will, yeah. Of course, if I could, if you could just for free give me five percent savings, I'll take that. But if the five percent savings poses any risk at all to my operation yeah. or if my team has to work any harder or if I have to step on somebody's toes who might I might need their favor from from them in a future date I, I won't do any of that stuff you know yeah. but, so, so and that's again, I think uh, yeah that's again, <laughs> it's again in a way a data problem because you don't mm. have the visibility on what the reward or what the opportunity could be and you really don't have visibility on the on the on the pain that you make that comes with it. So that's again, right. why, why data is so, so critical in, in such a micro micromanaged um, uh, business. Yeah. yeah, I think that the, the fact that in the US, so trucking rates are dropping, we, we all know ocean rates are dropping right now. In Europe, uh, I believe the predictions for recession, and that would tend to correlate with trucking rates dropping again uh, here as well. Mm -hmm. And in these cases, I do think the silver lining is that if you're a procurement organization, now's the time when you can start making some some sourcing changes where you say, well, I'm going to switch towards people who either give me lower emissions or just can report their emissions at all, you know, yeah. uh, and and the reason it's the opportunity is you, you just mentioned it is, in fact, if you have to give up a bit of savings in a falling rate environment, no one really notices and outside. It, 
no one realizes how much is actually possible to get in terms of savings. So if your savings go down, if your rates go down by 10%, but you could have gotten 15, but now you've switched to more sustainable uh, or at least transparent uh, uh, emissions. You don't, you don't ask, have to ask your CFO for approval for that one. If you exactly. deliver 10%, you are a great guy. Yeah, exactly. No, and I think I, I, I would agree. There is the these moments of change are the moments when you can change more than you actually needed to change, but you need to be prepared. I think on CO2, people are, should be prepared. I, I mean, it has been talked yeah. through in so many, in so many ways. Decades. Somebody says, oh, climate change, that's interesting. What does that have to do with my uh, yeah. supply chain operations? I would be surprised. So I, I, I fully agree. And it becomes a standard. I mean, the, the, we, we talked much, we, much of our talk was about the, the, economical side and externalization now it becomes a compliance topic as well people right. just expect you and again get so it, it has a some even say it's a third dimension next to reliability and cost uh, there comes uh, sustainability um, i think in the midterm it will translate into cash actually because there will be a charge on it and so on yeah um, but getting this little advantage with your customer base uh, that you say, okay, we do we do already tracking and we do not only tracking, we also do real-time intervention. We know which driver needs more or which car carrier needs more fuel. We have real data and we can, uh, we are beginning to intervene and uh, generate savings. That is a training that is part of our insurance premium uh, mm. that, we, uh, that we let our carriers get. In the long run, the carriers with high CO2 footprints will will lose out anyway. I mean, it's a, it's a question of time, of course, but... Uh, yeah. yeah, or they'll be pressured into change, perhaps. Yeah, uh, some some they, try to resist the pressure because they still have a customer that hasn't got it and, and things like that. But yeah. they will, in the end, they, they, it's a bit like people who said, China, who's China? We don't have to go to China to make a successful business. Who said that in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, 2000, 2010, they were gone. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, in, in closing here, are there... The, one of the questions I'd, I'd wanted to ask you, and maybe we use this as our closing question, is there anybody you think deserves a special call out? Is there any interesting technology, interesting operators, folks who you, you see are ahead of the curve in this in this area? Yeah, actually, I'm, I'm, I mean... Uh, uh, you can say companies that you're involved in, too. It's okay. This is, uh, no, I, I think, yeah, let's, let's start a call out. I mean, the, the one is, the, the, you, you, at the beginning, you need theory about it. You need people who really create awareness. And I think there's really Alan McKinnock, who's the professor at the, uh, at the I think it's Kühne School in, in Hamburg, uh, mm -hmm. I think he is. And he really is leading that, that, that people, he's now invited a lot and uh, talking a lot about it, understand the, the dynamics uh, of, of CO2 and so on. I think that, that's, a, that's a good one. Can you, can you say the name one more time so people can get Alan, it? Alan McKinnock. Alan McKinnock. Yeah. Yeah, and so, okay, we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes. So, Mac, like Schottisch, and then K-I-N-N-O-N. And so, he's, he's a very, he's, a, he's very, really thought leader in that sense. And, and I think that helps a lot, in, at least in the European space. I don't know how strong he is in, in, in North America, but, but that's, that's really somebody. Um, from a shipper perspective, I think it's consumer companies. I mean, everybody uh, thinks at um, Patagonia, uh, who really work on all dimensions of their system, also supply chain. I think they... They by taking that serious, and you need the sense of people who do it on a broad basis, and who people who set the example. I think that's that's a very strong one. And then there are some. If you look at the digital space companies, there are some companies with, which have great solutions. You, you know them. I think Trucks was on on this uh, on this yeah. uh, 
CO2 measurement, calculation, and then analytics, really, that you can come to outcomes. Um, but it's, if it's a point solution, it's very hard. I think it's very hard to sell. That's why I, why I think and in the end, it's the big platform providers like Transporion or so that will, will um, pick these services up because they, have the, they do not only give you the analytics and the data, they give you the tool to then intervene and go for another carrier or go for another yeah. route or whatever. Yeah, I mean, the, the nature of the, the, the agenda, uh, the transformation agenda that you and I discussed, the nature is decisions must be interrupted and, and the outcome is a, a different and better decision is made. But it's very difficult to do that with a point solution that, for example, like the, the, yeah. the tracks, uh, the tracks capability is, is very interesting in the sense that you can do, um, you can do large scale digital twin simulations of a fleet. Yeah. That, that's a, that, from my perspective, that's a game changer in this because Agreed. it's one thing to retrospectively say, well, when we operated on this lane, we had this level of emissions. It's another thing to say, our fleet operating on that lane in simulation, simulating the driver and the ve- the individual vehicles, et cetera, would have this amount of emissions. That's, that's, that's amazing. But that, as you said, then that has to be applied to practical decisions. Decisions like, how much do I reply to in an RFQ on that lane? How many loads do I say I can take? Do I or do I not make listings for new drivers to be hired? Uh, you know, very concrete. Yeah. How do I get access yeah. to additional loads, for example, to increase exactly. the load factor? And I mean, can always say I, I don't do anything that has a CO two negative impact, but then I may be very limited. So how can I leverage yeah. the capability? No, I, I agree. And 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 Trucks is on this inside part very strong, but it needs yeah. this uh, real time intervention um, piece. Another one is. Uh, uh, it's a queue that 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 creates something that is uh, basically integrating the real engine data into the reporting. But again, it's a point. It's a very critical information because now most uh, CO2 calculations on trucking are done on a virtual assumption of what the truck is and how the driver goes. It's right. not a real per load type of thing. And suddenly you really get the engine information, the real information. And you could also then intervene and say, okay, this driver is doing too many hard brakes, which he then has right. to restart quickly. So that guy needs a driver training, but I don't need a driver training for 100 drivers because others have other problems. And, but he has this one. And right. So, so again, that's a that's a that's a solution. And there are these type of people. It's mainly more or less a younger generation. And I, I remember from from DHL, which I followed up. They were not in the position when when I was there, but there are some people who really have a lot of energy. Katarina Tomov was then supply chain officer, and she really changed for such a big LSP, significant the way how they thought about sustainability and yeah there, there are these people in in the organizations but typically they are below 40 and not yet at the evp level where they maybe need to be to really uh show how it works in their own way but yeah uh, i think it's a it's an interesting space and it's a fabulous growth opportunities for for younger people yeah it's huge it's huge opportunities yeah. and 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 it's one of the spaces i think a lot of times people who start logistics businesses struggle with this what do you tell what do you tell your friends and family because no one really understands how big the, how big and important this industry is the sector is uh, uh, but people get emissions and people get climate change so any advancement in that area gets also the social rewards it's a bit the same uh, I, I believe the same social effect of people becoming say a doctor or or, or something where right. there's just Right. It, people respect you in a way that isn't just well. You're earning a lot of money. They respect you because you're you're helping people. 
Yeah, that's very true. Well, yeah. Herman, th thanks very much for your time today. Okay. Uh, we'll we'll make sure to post a, a link to the the researcher you mentioned, and to the also the companies that you mentioned. I hope to have you back another time. Maybe we can yeah. maybe we can talk about success stories uh, in, in a future in a future conversation. I hope very soon. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Have a great day. All right. That was the Logistics Tribe podcast episode with Herman Uday. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If so, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of the future episodes. I'm Boris Felgentreer. Until next time.